censorious thug. I want to show you a United Nations executive outlining a global plan for censorship. Her name is Melissa Fleming, and she's the UN's Undersecretary General for Global Communications, a pretty senior post. And she gave this speech a few months ago at the Nobel Prize Summit. So this isn't a leaked conversation, a hot mic situation. It's not a gaffe or a mistake. It's her planned public statement approved by the UN. It's a speech called Healing Our Troubled Information Ecosystem. Did you know that our information ecosystem was troubled and that it needed healing and that the United Nations was going to be the healer? Her speech is about 10 minutes long, and I'm going to show you most of it, and I'm going to stop every once in a while to give you my thoughts, but really, it's so astounding. I, I think it speaks for itself. Let's go. Well, I've been in this communications business for the United Nations for a long time, and I remember when social media burst onto the scene, we communicators were really excited because we were used to working only through journalists getting a little diluted, um, that what came up, but then we could communicate with people directly at scale. So there's a lament. Information can't be controlled by her friends anymore. She used to only have to deal with friends at the New York Times and the Washington Post and other elite organizations that were all basically on the same page. Now she has to do with independent media, and worst of all, individual citizens, yuck. She doesn't like critics. She calls uh, social media's dark side. Uh, here, take a listen. Before long, we saw a dark side. And I had myself a few personal aha moments. I was spokesperson for UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency. And I remember in 2015 when a million refugees came to Europe. And we saw such an outpouring of welcome uh, on our social media platforms, on our TVs. I witnessed the best of humanity there, but soon bad actors started spreading ugly lies online to frighten the public, and the welcome soon soured. Policies became more hostile, walls came up. So the UN has decided that individual countries that chose not to bring in unvetted military-aged migrant men claiming to be refugees, that that's bad, that's ugly, they were lying, they were hostile. The UN certainly has a lot of opinions for or an organization that is supposed to simply be a middleman, a meeting place amongst nations. She's saying that social media is the reason people don't want unlimited, unvetted mass migration, that if it weren't for those pesky voices on Twitter, everyone would simply agree with her. And that's just crazy. Not listening to big immigration is as crazy as not listening to big pharma, according to her. You should really listen to your betters. Here, listen to her some more. And a year later, I had my own wake-up call. Um, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. And the course I was told to take, chemotherapy, surgery, radiation, was kind of scary. And I did what most of us do. You've heard of Dr. Google. Um, I. <laughs> I went to Facebook, too, and I started looking for a community. One of the, the most prominent uh, findings or pages that popped up was a site called The Truth About Cancer. And The Truth About Cancer gave the following advice. Don't 
treat your cancer with chemotherapy. There are natural remedies instead. See, she's smarter than you. She can handle the internet. She says she went online to learn about cancer. In the past, by the way, we simply called that reading. But she doesn't like reading, at least for you. She apparently was able to do lots of reading and sort the wisdom from the folly, but you aren't as smart as her. You need to be guided by her. She could guide herself, but not you. Here, here's some more. If I had taken their advice, I would not be standing here with you today. And the reason I raised this is because that same group is still going strong on Facebook and Twitter and other platforms with the truth about vaccines. Um, they're trying to convince people to refuse life-saving vaccines. And in the during the COVID-19 pandemic, the Center for Countering Digital Hate found that the, the couple behind both of these pages um, were part of what they coined the disinformation dozen, just 12 accounts that were responsible for 65% of the disinformation that was spreading across the world on social media, infecting the minds of millions. Boy, that moved pretty quickly from cancer to big pharma COVID vaccines, didn't it? Look, of course there are kooky websites out there with bad advice on everything, including cancer, but she moved pretty quickly from conventional treatments for breast cancer to equating that with experimental vaccines, hastily rushed to market using emergency use authorizations without being fully tested. That was pretty quick, wasn't it? Life-saving vaccines. She said those words. I'm surprised she didn't use the phrase safe and effective. And by the way, if you are skeptical of forced vaccines, take it or lose your job vaccines, well, then you're guilty of digital hate, she says. See, she would never hate anyone. No, no, no. The UN would never hate anyone. Not even the people she calls dark and dangerous. No, no, no. You're the hater. They keep using that word hate, but my experience is that the hate comes from those trying to force things on people, like vaccines, and threatening people with punishments if they made a different personal choice, like Justin Trudeau, asking if we should even tolerate people who made a different choice than us. Mais aussi des gens qui sont farouchement opposés à la vaccination. Qui sont extrémistes. Qui croient pas dans la science, qui sont souvent misogynes, qui souvent racistes aussi. C'est un, un, un petit groupe, mais qui prend de la place. Et là, il faut faire un choix en tant que leader, en tant que pays. Est-ce qu'on est qu tolère ces gens-là? Est -ce... Trudeau campaigned on hating the unvaxxed. Remember this? If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's your choice. But don't think you can get on a plane or a train beside vaccinated people. Well, a government-funded smear group called the Center for Countering Digital Hate was paid to smear the top 12 skeptics of the COVID vaccine. And so they did. Here's a copy of that report. And they claimed that being skeptical of vaccines was hateful. On their dangerous dozen list was Robert F. Kennedy Jr., one of the most thoughtful, best-informed skeptics of Big Pharma. This isn't surprising that Big Pharma's interests are being pro protected, including by the UN. Bill Gates, the biggest vaccine booster in the world, pours hundreds of millions of dollars into the UN and other Big Pharma boosters. It's, it's really pay for play with him. I don't even know how he's allowed to do it, but he does. Here's a quote from one recent story. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation alone is responsible for over 88% of the total amount donated by philanthropic foundations to the World Health Organization. Yeah, so it's a bit weird 
Um, but also completely predictable to see the United Nations move so quickly to trying to silence skeptical voices about vaccines. Here's some more. Why is this relevant to the UN? Well, when we finally got the vaccines to other parts of the world, and in Africa in particular, which was very, had a publics that were very vaccine positive, we were finding people refusing to take them. They had been so infected by these conspiracies that they weren't only um, refusing the COVID-19 vaccines, but also childhood vaccines as well. The weird thing is that, in fact, Africa has one of the lowest rates of vaccination and, by coincidence, has one of the lowest death rates from COVID. I think you call what she just said disinformation. Here's some more. We're also seeing that in conflicts, social media is being weaponized to, um, to provoke the worst in human nature. A free tool used by genocidal governments to say it's okay to murder and to rape and to drive out fellow citizens. I met many victims, um, and I'm thinking of the Rohingya refugee population um, in Bangladesh. Women whose babies were torn from their arms and thrown into fires. This is precious. Imagine that saying murderous governments who murder, that's not the problem, but rather social media is the problem. Social media isn't weaponized to kill people in genocidal regimes. Weapons are weaponized. And banning or censoring Facebook or whatever she wants to do to stop mean thoughts, that doesn't work when it's those same murderous regimes doing the censoring. It, it would be like saying, well, if only Germany had a censorship law to stop Hitler. Well, they did have a censorship law, in fact, and it didn't stop Hitler, but he sure used it when he got to power, didn't he? And get this. UN colleagues doing a study later found that Facebook played a significant role in perpetrating that violence. And since then, we've, been, we've seen social media platforms deployed in many wars to dehumanize the enemy, but also to increase the density of the fog and the fog around atrocities and war crimes. And this is happening against a wider backdrop of online hate. Again, I'm not sure how Facebook perpetrated violence. Violence is perpetrated by governments, usually, by police, by armies, by militias, not by Facebook. But I, I take the point about the fog of war. It's true. The Russia-Ukraine war is full of propaganda and disinformation by both sides. But that's the symptom of the war. That's not the cause of the war. The war was not caused by social media. Wars have always been fought with the propaganda arm alongside it, but the war is the war. This next line, she says, is precious. It reminds me of Trudeau condemning how hard it is to be a politician, complaining about that, and that we should have sympathy for him and his rich cabinet friends. Get a load of this. And even the UN is under attack. Uh, false allegations spread online are targeting UN peacekeepers. This is from a recent survey which found that 75% of peacekeepers are saying their own safety and security is being threatened by disinformation, as if they didn't have enough uh, challenge to face. Um, and it's also um, hampering their own operating environment, according to them. Hey guys, it's really tough to be the United Nations. It's even tougher to be a UN soldier. People are so mean to them online. I have trouble believing that any UN soldier actually cares about what Facebook says, but it is true. Some mean 
people online accuse United Nations soldiers, their peacekeepers, of doing atrocious things, like, say, raping young women en masse by the hundreds, by the thousands. Here's those disinformation meddlers at um, The Economist. Or here's Reuters. Or Human Rights Watch. Come to think of it, this is from the United Nations itself. Pretty incredible. Yeah, we've, we've got to stop people online talking about UN peacekeepers raping so many women. I mean, sure, thousands of poor girls are being raped, but will you take a moment to think about how hard it is on the soldiers to hear about that on Facebook? So you can't criticize mass immigration. You can't criticize Big Pharma. You can't criticize UN soldiers, even if they're raping women by the thousand. But, and you knew this was coming. You can't criticize global warming or climate action either. Here, listen. As we've heard by many other speakers, social media is also being harnessed to undermine uh, and distort and abuse um, those who are promoting um, the science around climate change. The goal, to to silence the scientists and the activists and secure a livable future for the planet. So the United Nations wants to stop people from undermining global warming plans. Not from doing anything illegal, nothing unethical, nothing even rude. But if you undermine, say, a carbon tax or a climate lockdown, you need to be shut up. And the UN is just the ones to do it. I'm seeing a number of news reports in the last couple of days um, and surveys citing climate scientists who are fleeing Twitter um, in droves. Will no one think of the climate scientists fleeing Twitter in droves? (laughs) Get a load of this language. And the UN um, is working on multiple fronts to bring more balance into our information ecosystems by stepping up our online communications. um, And um, in many ways, we're trying to make UN content cool. Bring balance into our information ecosystems? That's a pretty clever way of saying silencing opponents and boosting supporters. The UN is saying this, no surprise, because that's actually the same language that some politicians like Justin Trudeau himself uses. Here's some more. Of course, firings at Twitter have left us with no one to call to flag content that is abusive or even incitement to violence. Obviously, the United Nations hates Elon Musk. They, they can't stop talking about him. They used to be able to use Twitter to silence their enemies. Now they can't. By the way, they're lying when they say incitement to violence is allowed on Twitter. Of course it's not. That's against their terms of service. But you saw just a moment ago, they're talking about people who undermine or distort global warming politics. This isn't about violence or about actual danger. They just use those words to hide the fact that they're in an information war. They actually use that phrase. We're now seeing that almost anyone can promote disinformation for the price of a blue tick. So we've still, it's not all bad, we have teamed up with the platforms uh, to elevate reliable information around COVID and climate, to amplify trusted messengers, and we have quite an army of them out there who want to take UN content and promote it within their followings and also educating users um, on how to slow the spread of disinformation. Got it. So when they say trusted messengers, they don't mean 
trusted by the people. I mean, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is one of the most trusted voices in America about COVID. Millions, tens of millions of people trust him, much more than they would trust Anthony Fauci or Canada's Theresa Tam. That's not what the UN means by trusted messengers. They mean trusted by them, trusted by Bill Gates, trusted by Justin Trudeau. You know, for years, Alex Jones has used the word infowars. There's a battle on for your mind. The United Nations just confirmed, yeah, there is. Our new slogan that we want to have every, everybody have in their ear when they're online is pause, take care before you share. Um, but yet we do feel like we are in an information war and that we need to massively ramp up our response. So we're creating at the UN a central capacity to monitor, monitor and also have the ability to rapidly react when mis and disinformation and hate speech is threatening not just our people, our operations, but also the issues and the causes that we're working on. Look at how they do that. They always do that. They mention disinformation and then immediately add in hate and violent threats because they have to scare you. Uh, there really are very few actual threats out there. The threats typically fr come from the United Nations types, threatening to fire you from your job if you don't get a jab, threatening to take away your property, threatening to take away your freedom. But they flip it around. That's that manipulative psychological tactic called DARVO, deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. They're manipulators. They're the haters. They're the threateners. They're the untrustworthy ones projecting it all onto you. And obviously now that COVID has receded, well, obviously climate is the new excuse to censor. Take a look at this. We are going to be gearing up our verified initiative around climate change and developing this UN code of conduct on information integrity on di digital platforms, hoping to set global standards that we can all advocate around um, so that we can collectively work for a more humane internet. A UN code of conduct? A UN code of conduct for information integrity? Really? For a more humane internet? And they'll be the deciders here. Of course, what they really mean is more from them, less from you. You're not humane, you see. They are. <laughs> One last time, they're not the haters. You are. So we obviously can't do this alone, and it is so inspiring to have all of you here in the room who are working in so many different ways to create a more humane information ecosystem. I think that we vastly outnumber the haters altogether, right? <laughs> and if we do join forces, I think we can also together heal our troubled information ecosystem. Thank you. Got it. They vastly outnumber us, they claim, but for some reason they need to censor us. We're the problem. They're the healers. We're dark, dangerous, and evil. They're humane. <laughs> what you just saw in that video is not a conspiracy theory, my friends. It's a conspiracy fact. The United Nations is coming to censor you. And Trudeau is totally there for it. Stay with us for more.
Ezra Levant here. You can see behind me about 100 plus people. It was slightly larger earlier who are outside the court here in Lethbridge to hear a sort of victory speech from Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky. It's his wife speaking right now. Um, we just got out of the court where starting at 9.30 a.m. today, both the prosecutor and the defense lawyers made their final submissions as to Arthur Pavlovsky's sentence. Just to recap, he was already convicted of two criminal offenses a few months ago relating to his uh, sermon that he gave to the trucker convoy at the Coots border blockade last February. So it was a, a, let me just give you a little bit of a taste of that sermon. So you can see it was just sort of classic Arthur Pavlovsky talking about freedom. Here's a clip of it. It's about time for Canadians to rise up and start roaring. Let's go! Resolution. I'm not talking about guns and swords. Oh, you see, this image, this image right here, it was the most powerful thing I could ever do. And it went viral all over the world because it showed simply me on my knees on a middle, in the middle of the highway, being taken by SWAT team. Why? For inciting people to come to church, participating in illegal church gathering, and officiating a church service. Who are those people think they are? In fact, that video clip was the sole piece of evidence in the hearing. I was shocked by, as many were, that he was convicted of a crime for giving that sermon. My own view is if what he said in that sermon is a crime, simply for inciting the blockade by saying things like hold the line and don't give in and fight for freedom, well, then all of us are in jeopardy, especially those of us in the punditing business, like myself or, say, Rex Murphy. If you can't say to peaceful protesters, hold the line, keep up the fight, if that in itself is a crime, well, I'm not sure if we're in Canada or for Iran or China. Anyways, the hearing, which I live tweeted, I just stepped out. It went back and forth, but in the end, here's how the judge uh, decided in the end. The judge said that Arthur needed a sentence, a prison sentence to steer him straight. But he also took into account the fact that Arthur has done a long time in jail pre-trial. And of course, you get extra credit, so to speak, for time served before a trial. So Arthur Pavlovsky was sentenced to 60 days in prison, but given credit for 60 days already served. So as you can see, he walked straight out. I met with him earlier today, and he said he was worried he would be leaving this courthouse in handcuffs straight to jail, which is how they do it when you're sentenced. So there's a bit of a jubilant feeling here today by his uh, supporters because he won't serve one extra day in jail. He won't pay one extra dollar or have any more punishments. However, he still has that criminal conviction on his record. And so Sarah Miller and the law firm that is being crowdfunded by viewers will be appealing that conviction. And I'm actually optimistic. It's good that our Arthur's not in sentence to any more jail time. But it's atrocious that that sermon has been called a criminal act. And for that reason, and the important free speech precedent it sets, 
uh, we will be helping to crowdfund his appeal to the Court of Appeal. And I have reason to be optimistic in that you might recall that Arthur Pavlovsky received another odious sentence at the hands of a judge named Adam Germain. That was uh, because Arthur kept his church open and he ordered Arthur to renounce his views on the vaccine and things like that. It was an atrocious trial-level ruling and sentence. But when that was appealed to the Court of Appeal, Arthur won three to zero. It was a great vindication. I have high hopes that this will see the same fate at the Alberta Court of Appeal. By the way, here's some excerpts from Arthur's speech a little bit earlier in the day. Take a look. Martin Luther King Jr., a leader of the greatest examples of civil rights movement recorded in history, speaks again from the past, warning this society a man dies when he refuses to stand up for, for that which is right. A man dies when he refuses to stand up for justice. A man dies when he refuses to take a stand for that which is true. Edward Armour said, we cannot defend freedom abroad by deserting it at home. I find it fascinating that every year, every propaganda news network will say, lest we forget, and yet at the same time, they are part of this greatest attack on our freedoms ever recorded in the history of mankind. We must engage. We must speak up. Amen. We are Christians. We are Canadians. Amen. Are you dead to the cry of the victims? No. Are you dead to the pleas of injustice? No. Are you dead to the abuse of power and the screams of truth? No. I hope not. Abraham Lincoln said those who deny freedom to others deserve it not for themselves and I absolutely adore the words of our Prime Minister from a few years ago John Diefenbaker this is what he said in the House of Commons on the 1st of July in 1960 I am Canadian a free Canadian free to speak without fear, free to worship God in my own way, free to stand for what I think is right, free to oppose what I believe wrong, free to choose those who govern my country. Listen, my friends, listen, Canadians. We must oppose the evil in Iran in the land and we must stand up in a political realm Amen. to elect those that actually value our rights Amen. not those that keep depriving us from those rights free to choose those who govern my country even that is under attack this heritage of freedom i pledge to uphold for myself and all mankind. Imagine a prime minister like this. Imagine a man that actually believes in what this country was built upon. 
We have, we have hostile so-called representatives in every level of government, starting with municipal and ending with the Nazi party in parliament in Ottawa. I am about to be sentenced today. All this year and a half of my house arrest, they tried to bribe me. I was offered money, political position, job. I was told that if I cross the floor, I will receive a guaranteed seat as an MLA. They would put me where historically the UCP wins. Only, only shut your mouth. Only don't talk about the corruption. Don't expose corrupted politicians. For the past two months, they use coercion, blackmail. I was told that the judge is bought and paid for and that he already was ordered to lock me up. I don't know if I am to believe that or not. It's just some phone calls that I received, multiple. But no matter what happens, they've done everything in their power to force me to say that I am sorry. But here I am again, in front of my oppressors, telling you and them I am not sorry. I was told to apologize. They should be apologizing to the Canadians. For turning the justice system, for weaponizing the justice system against its own people. For making a mockery out of the political system that's supposed to serve the people, not abuse the people and enslave the people. I stood with the hurting Canadians and if I could, I would do it 10 times over. We have never seen a bigger abuse of power than in the past three years. And the people needed their pastor. If a pastor cannot be with a hurting people, there goes every single right out of your country. And historically speaking, freedom of religion is always the first one. When the freedom of religion goes, every other right follows. That's not Pastor Art Polosky preaching. That's history. Well, that's my report from on the ground here in Lethbridge, Alberta. I'll actually be in Calgary tomorrow where I myself am on trial. I'll tell you more about that another time. That's it from Lethbridge. it in my own eyes, we can win if we unite. That's the story of Pastor Artopoulosky, a big mouth that says there is hope. We can win. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll thank you at home. Thank you. And I want to thank 
Ezra Levan in Rebel News. If Ezra, Ezra is there, Ezra, Ezra, come. You see, this is a man that I have differences with. Very public, head-on collision, but that's how I like it. I'm a Polish emigrant. I believe that the heroes in the Bible were not Jews, were Polish emigrants. That's the truth. I can't prove it yet, but I'm working on it. And this man stood with me. And I'm telling you, I fought many battles alone, and I lost my houses, I lost my properties. They almost took my home away. Foreclosure, I couldn't pay taxes because I fought lawyers, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and one man cannot do it, one family cannot do it. And this man stepped in and says, I'll crowdfund for you. So it doesn't matter what differences we may have today. He and his effort paid for our lawyers. And that's the truth. Ezra, I want to thank you for that. I am not in prison because you were willing with crowdfunding, with good Canadians, with good Albertans to fetch the bill. And I'll always remember that. Even if we're going to fight. We don't fight. Right? So, would you say a few words? I mean... I think your case is important for you, but it's important for the whole country. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody can afford the process that you've been put through. Even a rich person would just pay a settlement and apologize. Only the unique combination of your principled stand and the crowdfunding of thousands of people, only that has strengthened freedom of speech. And although you were sentenced today and convicted a few months ago, I'm very pleased that your excellent lawyers are appealing that conviction. Yeah. And just like you lost at trial with the church opening case and later won 3-0 at the Court of Appeal, I believe that you will be vindicated yeah. in the yeah. course of time. Yeah. And although, although it stings now to have the criminal conviction, I believe that when a Court of Appeal overturns that, and it is a binding precedent on the entire province, that will be a greater victory than to have won a trial. So thank you for the courage. And it's been more than once that the polls, that stubborn polls, have saved the world. As recently as Pope John Paul staring down the Stalinist and, uh, and Jan Sobieski, you are in that tradition of Polish freedom fighters and it is that very stubbornness that will keep the rest of us free. So thank you for being such a courageous fighter, and thanks to your family as well. On behalf of all the grassroots crowdfunding donors, we will be with you to the end. And a big clap for every person, for every person that have, has donated. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I want you to remember, the fight will continue. This is not over. We are appealing it immediately. And we will face the three judges in the near future. And we will do town halls. And we will do meetings with Bob, his wife, and others that are willing to participate.